Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John chapter number 17, going to start reading in verse number 9. Amen tonight. Don't forget March Madness, Ministry Madness, this Sunday evening. Brother Malone, amen, so come and be a part of that. Session three or four or whatever it is. Verse number nine, Jesus still speaking here, praying actually. And I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one, as we are rather. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Amen. To help the Lord tonight, I want to teach along these lines. A prayer for holiness. A prayer for holiness. Amen. Prayer for holiness. God, we come to you tonight. God, we're grateful, Lord Jesus, to be here. We're grateful, Lord, to have the ability to walk into this place, lift up holy hands. God, and give honor and glory to your name. We're thankful, Lord, that we're able to open the word of the Lord. God, and have, Lord Jesus, the words of scripture speak to our lives god that we can learn by them can order our lives by them i pray oh lord this very books that will be open in judgment someday are the book that we open tonight i pray oh lord that you're able to help us the lord jesus for the next little while god that you're able to speak to us through your word in the name of jesus christ that i pray amen and amen everybody say amen you may be seated tonight a prayer a prayer for holiness <clears throat> Again, this is the intercessory prayer of Jesus Christ. And the intercessory prayer of Jesus Christ does not stop in the sense that there's always some type of intercessory made for you and I. Uh, it's just no longer the man in flesh, Christ Jesus, that will be interceding. His intercessory 
work and position really just takes a different form after the resurrection and yes, after the ascension as a man, Christ Jesus will no longer mediate for mankind but all who receive his spirit all who are born again of water and spirit receive the spirit of Christ will still have an intercessor on their behalf. Again, we spoke of last week how that veil and the temple rent in twain from top to bottom and the, the, the literal happening of that really has a spiritual connection and a spiritual link to the veil of Jesus' flesh being rent in his body. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verses 19 and 20, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated or sanctified for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So just as the literal veil being rent gave everyone access to that area of the holies of holies. That renting of the veil gave everyone access to that, that most holy area in the tabernacle. Here in the scripture, the spirit of God would come down in between the two cherubim that were upon each side of that mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant. Now everyone would have access to that because the literal veil was rent in twain. Amen. But now on the spiritual sense, the rending of Jesus' flesh gave us also access to his spirit, particularly that came on the day of Pentecost when the 120 in the upper room, amen, received that spirit and spake in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Again, uh, we must remember that Jesus has said to the disciples here, even in John, John chapter number 14, he has, he has urged them, he has prompted them. He says, if I go not away, the comforter, as we know to be the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of truth, all those different things that it is known by. He says, will not come to you. So his, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, if you will, made way or gives access to you and I of that Spirit in our lives. And so we still have an intercessor. Amen. We still have an intercessor. It's the Spirit in us. But we have greater access than what we've ever had before. Amen. Than, than before Christ's death, before his resurrection, before his ascension. And so Christ intercedes for his disciples here in John 17. Now, and the Spirit of Christ, amen, that they will receive will continue to intercede for them as they would permit, I'll say it like that, as they will permit and allow for it to do in their lives. There's no doubt about that. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse number 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will 
of God. And so that spirit of God that we receive, that we have, amen, continues to make intercession for us even in those moments of time that we know not what we should pray or how, how do you go about praying for that or, and you pray as it would be, as Scripture says, in the spirit, amen, and that spirit makes intercession, it makes requests, it makes, if you will, prayers that you can feel confident about that is according to the will of God because that's the Spirit of God, amen, that's interceding through you, that is, of course, doing it according to the will of God, amen, and so there is still an intercession being made. Verse number 10, amen, of our reading tonight, the, 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 the Passion Translation says it like this, uh, the last little phrase, Christ is saying, all are mine are thine and thine are mine. It's nice little, got a little, you know, beat to it. But, and he says, and I am glorified. Jesus says, and I am glorified in them. The, the Passion Translation says it like this. My glory is revealed through their surrendered lives. In other words, I'm glorified. Other, other uh, de definitions of that in Greek. I, I am glorified. I'm magnified. I'm celebrated. I'm honored in them because they have allowed themselves to showcase who I am by them surrendering to what I desire and to what I would have. And so here we have the disciples, of course, that he is praying for. And just as a little postscript here, we really don't read anywhere from chapter 16 to 17 where he ever just kind of dismissed the disciples and told them to leave. It is highly possible that this prayer that Jesus is doing, that they are audience to his prayer, to him praying. And so here's this, these disciples, this ragtag group of individuals that have their own pitfalls, their own shortcomings. It doesn't just but take a little bit of time to remember Thomas and what he's known for and, and James and John who oftentimes the Bible says they kind of coveted the left hand or the right hand to place a position. Lord, when we, when we come into your kingdom, can one of us have the right or the left? They, they also seem to be depicted in Scripture being a little hot-headed. They are called the sons of thunder with purpose and reason. Uh, a, little, a bit of a temper. Peter, of course, the denier and also quite impulsive most of the time have all these pitfalls, all of these flaws, you might say, and Jesus says that he was glorified in them. It's quite humbling, actually. Glorified in them. That in the middle of a flawed individual, an individual that's, that's prone to failure mistake, he says, I'm, I'm going to be glorified in your life. Folks, if he can do it in James and John and Peter... And Bartholomew, with all of their hang-ups, he can be glorified in your life as well. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, the knowledge of God is seen in Christ, right? He says, we're preaching not ourselves, we're preaching Christ. As we preach Christ, there is the light of the knowledge of God found in Christ because he is the revealer and the declarer of Christ, right? Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, 
that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of, our, not of us. Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, of course, that we boast not of ourselves. We boast not in ourselves. We boast, he says, due to the glory of God that's in our lives. All right? The glory of God that's in the glory, the, 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 the honor and the celebration of Jesus Christ in our lives. And just a few verses later, in verses 10 and 11, it speaks about how these disciples or how these people live their lives. And they live their lives in such a way that Jesus might be made manifest, the scripture says, in their bodies, or that he would be made manifest, his life would be made manifest in their mortal flesh. I said that to say this tonight, we magnify the Lord the best when we manifest him every day in our lives. Mm-hmm. Someone say Amen. Jesus said, I will, I'm going to be, I'm glorified in them. I'm honored in them. I'm celebrated in them. I'm magnified in them. But the way in which that takes place, that we glorify and magnify God, is when we manifest the characteristics of that God and Christ Jesus in our everyday lives. Let me say it like this. Being a preacher does not celebrate the Lord as much as you think it is. Amen. Being a singer does not celebrate the Lord as much as you think it might. Amen. The best way that you can celebrate, glorify, magnify God is in your daily life. Yes. In your, because I don't, you can preach, you can be a great oratory speaker from a pulpit, but not have a life that's devoted on the daily means to the Lord. So that really just lays on a low shelf. But if you can live every day showcasing the characteristics and the attributes of God in your life, he'll be glorified. Yes, he'll be glorified in your life. Amen. Now verse number 11. He's, he knows, he, and the disciples know this. Christ is on the verge of departing, of going away. And they are not going with him at this moment in time. The disciples are going to remain in the world. Verse number 11. But Jesus, of course, is looking forward. He's looking toward his ascension. He's looking toward everything that's going to precipitate on the cross and even thereafter. And in all of this, being that he's going to depart, his prayer is this. There is a prayer for oneness. He wants them to be one as he and his father were one. There is a call and a prayer for oneness oneness among the believers as there had been a oneness between Jesus and God. Now remember what Jesus said. You know it, I know it. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. That word one there, we've looked at this before. Let me just hit the nail one more time. That word one in the Greek language is the word hen. It means alone. But the emphatic use of the Greek word hen literally translates I and my Father are one and the same. See, Jesus' prayer for his believers to be one as he and his Father to be one is that Jesus desired that there would be a oneness or a sameness among his disciples. He desired that they would function as one body because that's what we're called to, right? We, we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into one body, he would want us to function as one body that has, that has an awareness, each member 
of its interconnectedness with the other members that are a part of this one solitary body. He prays, though, the Lord prays, not only that they would be one, but he also prays how this oneness was to be achieved, how this oneness would be achieved in their collective lives. Now, folks, I'm just telling you, I feel like a little light bulb has went off on me through this week because I've preached, I've preached on John 17. I probably have a few messages out of John 17. Amen. But as I've looked at this here over the past week, and I've always, and people have even said this, I know. Uh, scholars even have said this. The prayer of John 17 of Jesus praying for his disciples to be one as, as he and his father one. The prayer of John 17 is a prayer for unity. The prayer of John 17 is a prayer for oneness. And I by no means uh, refute that, but it's how does that oneness come about? That oneness comes about because of holiness amen oh we're gonna have fun here a little bit tonight that oneness comes about as a result of holiness and so the real prayer then of john 17 if you're gonna have oneness it only comes by virtue of there being holiness the only reason that there can be any unity or cohesiveness among the body of christ is because they've been set apart and distinguished separate as a you as a unit called his church Someone say amen. Notice how he even addresses, amen, the Lord here in verse number 11. He says, Holy Father, Jesus says, the only place that you see this terminology used is right here in the fourth gospel and in this place. Holy, it's the only place that you ever see this addressment. Holy Father. And he does this, no doubt, with intention because he's setting a stage for what is about ready to come. Because the disciples, he's going to pray to the Lord. He's praying that they would be kept that they would be guarded, that they would be protected, all right? He's praying for all of this, and so he comes out of the shoot, Holy Father, I, I pray that my disciples would be kept, that they would be guarded, that they would be protected through your name. Again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but let it break. Protect them, guard them, keep them through your name. Your nature. Your nature. Be ye holy, for I am. That's who he is. I can't even describe that as an attribute of God. That is God. Do you hear me? It's the same as God saying God is love. It's not that love is an attribute of God like some add-on virtue of God. That's who he is. He is holy. And Jesus said, Father, I pray, Holy Father. Could have said, he could have said, Love, Father, but he said, Holy. He said, Holy Father, I pray you would keep the disciples through your name or your nature. What's your nature? Holiness. My nature is holiness. The New Living Translation says it like this. It says, now protect them by the power of your name. Or if I may, protect them by the power of your nature, which is holy. Holiness, amen. As he prompted to begin with, Holy Father. Amen. Again, that's just particular here to the fourth gospel. Craig Keener, a scholar, says it like this. He says, separation from the world naturally produces internal community cohesion in other words he says if you separate a group of people from the world then there is going to be if you will a, a community of togetherness among them let me state it like this on the practical side on the practical side of this 
people relate to others or form community oneness when they hold certain things in common. Do I need to say that again? I feel like I do. On the practical side, you take people and people relate to one another and they form communities, if you will, of oneness when they hold certain things in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was it, the, I don't remember what it is, mad or whatever, moms against drunk drivers, right? They come together and there is a certain essence of oneness among them because of the common element that they gather around. It brings a cohesion to that group. Just as the dynamics of football with a football team or gymnastics would be those that work in gymnastics, those common elements cause them to relate to one another and form a community of oneness of the things they hold in common. Why? Because in that moment, they can identify with one another at that juncture of what they have similar. Someone say amen. And so what this happens then, what, what, what Keener is saying here in the body of Christ, he said when we get separated from the world, it naturally produces a oneness. It naturally produces a unity for the things that we hold in common. What do you hold in common? I believe there's one God. You believe there's one God. What do you have in common? I believe you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe you need to be baptized. What hold in common? I believe I need to repent and be baptized for the mission sins. You believe that. What about this Holy Ghost? Yeah, I believe I need that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to dwell in me to quicken my... Yeah, I believe that. You believe that. What else does this mean? It means even our holiness of behavior, our holiness of action, our holiness of talk and speech, our holiness of conduct, our holiness of lifestyle, when we hold these things in common as we should, it brings a spirit of unity or oneness. Jesus' prayer, folks, I'm here to tell you tonight, Jesus' last prayer before he dies on Calvary was really a prayer about holiness because he knew his people wouldn't be one unless they were holy as he were. The protection was there. The keeping power was there. That mm. Now, folks, I might just be in, the, in just a mode a little bit more because I've been since January working on stuff for holiness because I got a symposium paper to present at GMC and I got 4,500 words to do and I've, done, I've, I've read my mind out on holiness and I've been in holiness up to here. So if you want to hear the rest of this in some type of grouping, Listen to GMC or buy the book when it comes out. Amen. And so, maybe, this might be included. So we must be kept through his name or his nature that we may be one as God and Christ are one. And we can only be kept as one if we take part in and share the same name, or if you will, nature. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, I think I made mention of this already, but for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So you take a Jew and a Gentile, 
a Jew and a Gentile, and being born again by the same Spirit, baptized into one body, which we'll look at here in a bit, is being baptized into Jesus Christ. You take a Jew and a Gentile, and there's a oneness that comes about. Jew and Gentile again, a oneness that comes about because they are kept through his name, his nature. You take bond and free, and there's this blending of their lives that come to cohesion between them because they are now sharing the nature of the name that they've taken on themselves in baptism. Romans 6 and 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized in that name or we're baptized in that nature. Amen. I teach this in prisons. I did teach one time on baptism. We about ready to baptize a bunch of people. I told them about this. About not just, it's not just the fact of the name of Jesus Christ, but it's the nature of Jesus Christ you're being baptized into. By one spirit, and we become a part of one body. And as a result, there is a oneness, there is a sameness that surfaces out of taking on his name and, if you will, his nature. When the disciples at Ephesus, this is Acts 19, many of you are familiar with perhaps, but when the disciples at Ephesus were asked whether they received the Holy Ghost, and the response was, we hadn't heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. What was the first question then asked after this? They said, and to what then were you baptized? <laughs> huh? Because the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Can't tell where it goes or where it comes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He said, you don't know about the Holy Ghost? But everybody that's born of the Spirit knows about the Holy Ghost. If, you, if we don't have this in common, then tell me what you were baptized unto. Because if you took on the same name, that I took on in baptism. If you were submerged in the same nature that I was submerged in baptism, you're going to know something about the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Someone say amen. Verse number 12. And so Jesus goes on. He talks about how he was with them in the world and he kept them in his name. Whoever, Christ, whoever God had given him, he kept. Notice, Jesus kept, he admits. He says, I'm asking you, Lord, to keep them in your name because I'm going away. I kept them in the name or in the nature of God during my earthly ministry, all right? I, uh, the keeping power of the nature and the name or holiness. Look at this, look at this. Please note, the keeping power of the name and the nature of holiness is so effective that Christ said, I did not lose any except for the son of perdition and he, according to scripture, was going to be lost anyway. In other words, I didn't lose any that didn't purpose in their own minds to be lost. 
And you can hold something in tension right there, and I'm not going to get in that tonight. Amen. Well, how in the world, how in the world could, could Judas, you know, be lost, and it's according to Scripture and still be Judas's, you know, uh, yes. You've got to understand the foreknowledge of God, and we talked about this, and I am, I am digressing, and I am jumping into it. I am. Okay, I am, I am. Bring eggs and ham. That's am, I am. But the foreknowledge of God, just because the fore, God knows, okay, this is, this, this, I, I, the, 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 the illustration that I oftentimes would give is that whenever I'm approaching uh, 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 a stoplight and it is yellow, just because of the way things go, I have foreknowledge that that's about ready to turn red. <laughs> it's going to turn red. But my foreknowledge doesn't make it turn red. So the Lord could see the happenings of Judas, but Judas still had a will and a choice and a decision in what came down the pike in his life. If, you're, if, you, if you find the Lord, he chose you and you turned around and reciprocated that choice. And if you're ever lost, you're lost because you chose to be lost. Amen. He said, so he said, this keeping very said, none, 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 none was lost. Man, sign me up. Sign me up for this keeping guardian protection of holiness because his holiness kept and safeguarded all of them all of the disciples, though they all, listen, it's not as though he kept them and they were in this padded room with 50 inches of steel so that no ungodliness could get within 10 feet distance of them. No! This holiness kept them, these disciples, though they lived in a world among less than holy people. He kept them by that name. The word kept there, it's in, in verse number 12, uh, I think it is, or verse, uh, da, 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 da. yes, verse number 12. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them. And then a little further down, he says, those that thou gavest me, I have kept. Both of those words kept are two different words of kept. It's both kept in English, but they're not the same kept in the Greek. Jesus kept the first kept. He kept them in his name. That means that he watched over them. He guarded them from loss or injury. Another definition of it is he retained them in custody. I like that. And he said, thou gavest me, I kept. Meaning that he kept them by protecting them from outside dangers it, it was a verb the second kept was a verb that was often used by shepherds that kept watch over their flocks by night because savage wolves sought to desire them and so the thoughts of these two words kept in conjunction with one another tells me this that holiness retains us in custody for our own good you hear me Holiness retains us in custody for our own good. I got to drive that in someone's head tonight. This is not about preventing you and prohibiting you 
and constraining you and restricting you with no mission or purpose. It's just like some, some rude uh, 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 ambassador that's keeping you in change just because they like to see you in change. No, it keeps you in custody for a purpose, for your own good. It's not prohibiting you as much as it is protecting you. Somebody hear me. Oh, someone hear me tonight. It's, I don't know about all this stuff of Scripture. And I, don't, I don't know about this over here. And I don't know about Deuteronomy. And I, I don't know about it over here. And I, I just don't know about this stuff talking about where we should go, what we should do, how we should order our lives, how our speech should be. I just don't know about all that. It, it feels real constrictive. It feels real binding. Listen, 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 listen. It is not, though, without purpose. All of those things that the Lord has put in his book concerning those things, he's keeping you. He's guarding you. He's protecting you. It's for your own good. Well, it doesn't do much good for my life here in the world. You're not a part of this world. You're supposed to be a citizen and a pilgrim and a stranger. You're supposed to be of another country. You're kept in custody for your own good. So listen, when you want to break out of that, you're setting yourself up for injury. When, when you want to break out of that, you're risking, the risk numbers are escalating. The probability that something's going to happen increases the moment you break custody with holiness. And listen, folks, it must have been encouraging. I, I remember, you look at verse 13, it must have been encouraging. I know as a kid, whenever I would wake up in the mornings and I could hear my dad around 5 o'clock praying in the bathroom, the only restroom that we had. I remember whenever I woke up in those mornings, heard him pray in the restroom, and he mentioned my name in prayer. There was a certain amount of delight that swelled in my spirit. Even still yet to this day, there's times I come over to this church and he's in his office or he's in the back and he's praying. And I hear your names mentioned and somewhere if he's not mentioned my family already, he goes through Mariah and Dawn and Trevor and me and my heart swells inside. Imagine being the disciples right now as he's praying to the Father to be glorified and saying, I'm going to be glorified them and praying for them. Imagine them hearing, keep them, Lord. Guard them, Lord. Protect them, Lord. Let them be one, Lord. And the way it's going to happen is by them living my life in their life, Lord. Bring them to the realization that what they're doing is not for without purpose, that it's for their protection, it's for their good. Don't let them dupe into the, the theology, if you will, and the ideologies of the world saying, that's a bunch of hodgepodge, who cares? Don't let them be duped in that, Lord. Help them to understand that these are guardrails and, and these are lines of protection and these are boundaries of distinction for their good. Hallelujah. I'm sure their, yeah, I'm sure their joy was fulfilled. Their heart had to swell. That their Savior, their rabbi, the one that they've been under the, the tutelage of for three and a half years, thought enough about using some of his last time here on earth praying for their holiness so that he would be glorified in and through their life. And again, 
he turns to something we've already touched on here in the past few weeks. Again, Jesus turns to this whole idea that you're going to be hated because I was hated. You're going to be rejected because I was rejected. The world's going to reject you because it, it rejected me. And the world hates you and it hates me because our source and our point of origin isn't the world. I'd say it like this. Disciples, we don't belong to the world. The Message Bible says it like this. Jesus saying, they are no more defined by the world. Speaking of the disciples, they are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Alexander McLaurin said, he said, the measure of our discord with the world is the measure of our accord with our Savior. It is in the degree in which we possess His life that we come to be aliens here. Discord, accord. Separated near. Here's McGee. World. The Lord. Lord, the world. The more I'm at distance and in discord with the world, just testifies the more I'm in accord and near to God. The more I'm in discord and at distance from God is the more I'll be near and in accord with the world. To the degree that I allow the life of Christ to be played out in my life will be how much foreign or how foreign and how alien this world will be to me. Mm. <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. The fact of the matter is this, and I know to a certain, on a very human level, yes, but the fact of the matter is this. We shouldn't be comfortable down here. Shouldn't be comfortable down here. Whew. I've heard it from the voice of too many aged saints when they've been nigh death. You know what some of their pleading words are? I've been there right by their bedside. I'm just ready to go home. <laughs> home is where you find your comfort. Homes where you're at ease. You know what they're telling me in that moment? I've been uncomfortable my own life. I'm just about ready to get comfortable because I'm going. I'm in discord with this, but I'm in accord. He says you're going you're to be rejected by the world. You'll be rejected by the world to the, to the degree that you accept the desires and the way of God. Your level of rejection will be predicated upon how submerged you are in the Lord. Mm -hmm. Because these little societies and groupings and communities, Jesus even said it. He said, they hate me because I'm not of them. We're not the same. We're not identical. We don't share the same ground. 
we got differences. They hate me because we're not alike. But you'll be rejected to the degree (laughs) of a likeness that you have with the Lord and that you have with the world. They'll reject those more that are less like them than they will those that are more like them. Oh, God, help me. Is 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 it being understood? I don't want to stack right up here and be missed. The more we become like him, the more our lives will be subjected to the same rejection by the world that he was rejected with. Mm -hmm. And so nonetheless, Jesus prays, with all that in consideration, Jesus prays, don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world. But Lord, they're going to be, there are crosshairs on them as long as they live their life like you. They're going to be rejected. Yeah, but don't take them out. Because here's the thing that Christ wants that he even exemplified in his own life. And here it is. We live out our Christian lives in the world. We don't live out Christian life when our feet hit gold. We don't live out our Christian life when we, when we slip our first pinky toe through the gates of pearl. We live out our Christian lives in the world where I work, in my Christian life. Where I go to school, my Christian life. When I'm on vacation, my Christian life. When I'm eating with other people that are of the world, my Christian How in the world can you do that? Because he prayed. That through his name and through his nature, I'd be kept, I'd be guarded, I'd be protected. That's the power of holiness. Amen. So don't take him out of the world. He said, we are in the world. We have dealings with immoral people. Let me say that. You can have dealings with immoral people without partaking of their immorality. It goes to the in it, not of it stuff. It's what Jesus is talking about here, praying about. Lord, I'm convinced they can be in the world without becoming the world. As a matter of fact, I got this great idea that if they'll be in the world... And, and, and act like you do and glorify you through their life that there will be people that will be saved based upon their message and what they observe in their life because they'll scratch their head and be saying, how are they in the world and not of the world? How are they among the immoral and not, not acting and behaving immoral? Ding dong, I'll tell you how. They've taken on a name they take it on a nature that protects and guards and keeps them. Do you want to know about Jesus? Yeah. 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 He didn't, 
isolating them. You hearing me? He's not, 2 Corinthians 5.10, this ain't up there, but for your reference, he was saying if, if, if we was going to try to just stay totally, like I said earlier, padded room against fornication and this, that, and the other, he told him in 2 Corinthians 5.10, he said if that's going to be the case, if that's the objective, then you're going to have to take them out of the world. That's the verbiage. He said, go out of the world. That's the direct phrase from 2 Corinthians 5.10. And he's talking about fornication and other immoral things. He says the objective is just isolation. You don't have to take them out. He said, but I'm not talking about isolation. I'm just talking about insulation. How's that possible? There's a line, there's a boundary. When we went, we went to, uh, we flew into El Paso several years ago, preach a camp meeting out in, in New Mexico, Sacramento, New Mexico. We flew into El Paso. We was going to be driving out uh, then to New Mexico from El Paso, Texas. And uh, we got there and got a car rental. And my wife's name was the only one on there. And as a result of it, she had to chauffeur me everywhere. It was glorious. And it's not because I like her driving, but it did provide a lot of prayer time. <laughs> but we were going... And, and, and Brother Bingham told us, he said, you got to be real careful at this one spot on the clover leaf. He said, where are you going to be turning? He said, but if you take this one road, it'll take you straight into Mexico. If you take this one clover leaf, it'll take you straight into Mexico. And he says, once you cross the line, you can't just get back over. You can't. Why? Because there was a definitive line that said, you are no longer in the United States of America. Any perk and privilege and whatever was afforded you on that side is not afforded to you on this side. I'm glad there's boundaries and lines that distinctly tell me where left is and right is, where wrong is and where... Amen. So, needless to say, we made it here. (laughs) No, thank you, Jesus. If I go, I want to go because I want to go, not because I accidentally got there. So we have all this. And he said, leave him in the world. Why? Because, again, Christ wants us to be the salt. He wants us to be the light. So he's not going to quarantine and take us out because he wants us to be the salt and the light to those that are there. Mr. Craig Keener said, he said, this is a separation. Listen to me. It's a separation of values and not geography. (laughs) We live in the same world. But there's some distinctive separations of values between us and them living in this world. So he says, don't take them out of the world, but keep and protect them. Look from the evil. Oh, what's his prayer? Keep and protect them from the evil. Verse number 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. He, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, Jesus never prayed that they might find escape. He prayed that they might find victory, according to William Barclay. Keep them from the evil. See, the victory for the disciples was this, living a God-approved life amid a God-forsaking world. Victory kept from evil 
And the way, again, the way that this victory or the way that this protection from evil was achieved was by holiness. Holiness through his name, as we saw in verses 11 and 12, and verses 14 and 17, holiness through his word. Everybody say word. It is irrefutable that God is holy. However, his name and his word are holy because they are related to him, or if you will, they are extensions of who he is. Anything or anyone reserved unto him, reserved unto God alone, is holy. He's holy, therefore they are holy. When they're reserved unto him Again, I emphasize alone. John 17, 17 says, you hear it on the radio station. Brother Pat knows it, right? 101.5, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctified in verse number 17 means separate from profane things. Consecrate. Make holy through truth. Your word is truth. The New Living Translation says it like this. Make them holy by your truth, which it tells us what that truth is. It's his word. This is how they would be protected from the evil, by his name, his nature, and by his word. His sanctifying, purifying, separating them for himself, making them holy word of truth see again folks skewed perspectives will call truth a prohibition it's keeping me from things when primarily here in Jesus' prayer it's brought into view here not as the prohibitor but as the protector from outside influences what did the scripture say in John 8 Truth makes us free. You should know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth doesn't restrict you. Truth liberates you. God's word and his nature doesn't restrict you. It liberates you. Mm-hmm. The word translated again, sanctify, just walk with me just for, you know, a few more minutes. The word translated sanctify doesn't only mean to be set apart for a special task or office because you had things that wasn't just people that were sanctified or made holy. You had instruments in the tabernacle that were holy because they were set apart, perhaps some tongs set apart at the altar for the use of the altar. All right? So you're set apart for a special task or office, but the word also means to equip everybody say equip so it's not just to be set aside for a special task or office but it also means to equip such a one get it with the qualities of character which are necessary for the task in other words holiness doesn't just set me apart for a task holiness enables me to acquire the qualities of character that I need for the task. Mm -hmm. Someone say amen. 
we can be holy because God is holy. Yes, he set me apart as being his child. Yes, he has set me apart as being his people, just as he did the nation of Israel. But in the setting apart, it's not just a setting apart for his purpose and mission, but is the imbuing me with the qualities of character that I need for the mission. Someone say amen. We are set apart for a task. We have been, someone say I'm set apart. We've been set apart for a task that he is equipping us for. How does he equip us, Sister Malin? Through his nature and his word. Both are holy because they are extensions of who he is. The Art Carson said it like this. He said, no one can be sanctified or set apart for the Lord's use without learning to think God's thoughts after him without learning to live in conformity with the word he has graciously given. In other words, sanctification isn't simply about being separated for a purpose or a task. It is also holiness is about adopting and acquiring the qualities of character that come along with the cat. The, the, the task. I'm a child of God, but it's about getting the qualities of character that I need to live victoriously as a child of God. Not only does the word divide, amen, the Bible tells us the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the soul from the spirit, the bone from the marrow. It's a discerner of the very intents of our heart. Not only is the word a divider, but it is an equipper to us, equipping us to be like him when we're obedient To this holy word, this holy Bible, this holy language, holy scripture. Verse 18, we're moving. I'll, I'll close within the hour. Not meaning from here forward an hour, but hour. Go on, there goes Lot's wife. There's always got to be one. Remember Lot's wife. You're fine, really. It's fine. Would everybody just take a moment and look back? No, I'm joking. I'm sorry. I know. I know. Fire and brimstone all around. She's <laughs> Feel the heat. Verse 18. This is just kind of a side note of verse 18. He's saying, I sent them into the world just like you sent me in the world and I have sent them in the world. So he's like, I'm kind of I'm parodying or mimicking. What you did to me, I'm doing unto them. And here's an amazing thing. At least it's amazing to me. If it's not to you, well, no flesh off me, okay? There's a pattern here. There's a pattern here. What I want to point out here is, is that during the father relationship era, you know, in the Old Testament, it's God, it's father. The father relationship era of Scripture People during that era were told about the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah's coming. That's what they all spoke about throughout the Old Testament, even into, into the Gospels. You know, it's just, just getting over, tiptoeing there, you know, Matthew and the genealogy. The Messiah's coming. Where we get in the Son era, Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh. In the Son era, we are told in that time frame, you know what they're talking about? The Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter is coming. 
during the era of the Spirit, at the day of Pentecost forward, you know what we're talking about now? Christ is coming again. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was sent to the world in Bethlehem's manger. The Spirit was sent to the world inside of people on the day of Pentecost. The disciples were sent into the world, amen, to show glory unto the Lord because the life of Christ is being realized in their life by the world and Christ is going to come again someday in the world. Mm, someone say amen. Last days. Wrapping it up. Staying with me. So Jesus says, some might think this is arrogant or weird or whatever. He says, Lord, he said, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. Jesus says, I set myself apart. And I got the qualities and the characteristics for I'm what I'm set apart for. What are you set apart for, Christ? He already has it in view. On a hill, far away, stood an old rugged cross. So I, I, I sanctify, I'm set apart with the qualities for what I need. Why? Because that they, verse 19, that they might also be sanctified through truth. What's he saying? He said, I'm going to be holy so that they can be holy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.15, last verse I'm reading, might not be the last one I'm quoting, but it's the last one I'm reading. But as he which hath called you is holy. How is that so? This is Peter. This is after Calvary, after everything. He that hath called you is holy. How? Well, he sanctified himself by adopting the will of the Father as his own will. He went to the cross. He bled. He died. Crucifix. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all. Everybody say all. Man, that's a humongous Greek word that has deep and profound meaning. It means all. In all manner of conversation. Oh, I get it. I'll watch what I say. No. I've taught you all several times New Testament word conversation, often in the epistles. It's not about your talk per se. It's about your lifestyle, your conduct. It includes conversation, but it includes a whole lot more than conversation. Be holy in all manner of conversation. Jesus says, I'm sanctifying myself. And again, that, that, it's not really improper for him to say that. Amen? Yes, I know it is, imp it is impossible for mortal man, for Paul McGee to sanctify myself. But in a sense, I do sanctify myself because the Bible even says different times. It says about him sanctifying us and then us sanctifying ourselves. We're like, well, we can't do that. No, but if you receive the spirit of Christ and you're obedient to that spirit, you take part in the sanctification of what you allow to take place. You understand what I'm saying? By your choosing, by your will, you permit sanctification to take three steps forward and not one step back. And so, whereas you can't sanctify yourself by yourself, you can cooperate, listen, with the nature you've been baptized into. And you can cooperate with the word that you're privy to every time it's taught and preached and read. 
You can cooperate with His holy name and the holy word. Sanctifying word and the spirit of God, which are nothing more but extensions of a holy God. So Christ sanctifies himself as a man by being obedient to God. Yes, he's obedient to God's works. He's obedient to God's words. They happen through him because he's submitting to the Father's will, not my will, but thine be done. And I'm here to tell you tonight, the prayer for the disciples was a prayer for holiness. We continue in our sanctification through our obedience to God's word and mirroring his nature. You know who gets the glory? He does. He does. The prayer for, I pray that they would be one. If they're going to be one, if that's going to happen, then they're going to have to be holy. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Mm -mm -mm, That holy word. Can we just bow our heads here tonight? God, I love you, Jesus. God, I love you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, help me, God. Lord, to break the will of Paul McGee. God, to break the will of my Adamic nature, that nature that is as Adam, Lord, from the beginning. Break. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.